Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our sermon series, Trending, we are talking about trending topics within our news media that really strike a chord with people in their hearts. The way we follow news media in our world today is by how many people are reading and sharing about a particular topic on social media. I'll be picking up on these trending topics and pulling them out to discuss how God's Spirit is operating through these events in our world. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading comes to us from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weed among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading this morning is a continuation of the parable. This is the explanation of the parable. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age." The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of the Lord. Our youngest child and only son is a farmer. Now, if you had told me even 10 years ago that I would be saying those words, I would have laughed out loud. Andrew as a teacher, maybe even a college professor, perhaps an urban planner or something else that has to do with the environment. But a farmer in this family of urbanites and suburbanites? Where did that come from? What does a mother know anyway? Andrew is a farmer. More specifically, Andrew is a farmer who looks at sustainability, 
organic ways of growing, and issues of food justice. It doesn't make him more or less important than any other farmer. It's just a different way of farming. As a mother, I am proud of the passion he has for his work. He marvels at the ability of the earth to bring forth good food. He is continually reading and watching and learning about better ways of growing, about ways that will be less taxing on the land and the environment and all of our resources. He and another farmer bless their seeds before they put them into the ground. They work constantly to lessen their carbon footprint and provide good sources of nutrition. Now, Andrew has shared some of the farming techniques they use, and one of the earliest ones he shared with me was the method of planting three sisters. The first time he said to me, I'm going out to Bar Farms and I'm going to plant three sisters, I immediately perked up because, after all, I am one of three sisters. So what does this mean that you're planting three sisters? This method is a method of companion planting, actually first used by Native Americans. They plant corn, beans, and winter squash together, the three sisters. The corn grows tall, allowing the beans to wrap around it, so you don't need anything else for the vine of the beans to attach to. The winter squash stays low, providing a ground cover that keeps out weeds, that keeps moisture in the soil, and that allows for some protection from direct sunlight. The purpose of companion planting is to maximize the growth of the crops and minimize the work involved with the crops. I'm fascinated by the fact that farmers today are actually using this method of planting, which really goes back thousands of years to the Native Americans. As sustainable farmers, they don't want to use pesticides, weed killers, or anything that will harm the environment, the food they're growing, or the people who eat that food. So they work at these ancient methods, using them as newer methods, in an effort to limit or do away with the need for any of those other things. Their goal is to provide healthy, clean food locally grown with the smallest carbon footprint. Andrew does have a small tractor. However, he plants by hand. He weeds by hand. He plucks bugs by threatening uh, bugs threatening the groups of plants by hands, and he harvests by hand. This is the kid that wouldn't get a job when he was 19. <laughs> this year, he's responsible for seven acres of land. Now, you don't have to be a sustainable farmer or any kind of farmer to know how hard it is to deal with weeds. Why is it that weeds always seem to be the hardiest thing in our gardens, whether they be vegetables or flowers? They grow faster than anything else, and we are endlessly pulling them up to keep the garden looking nice. Imagine your dismay if you woke to the news that your beautifully 
cultivated flower garden or vegetable garden had been infested by weeds. And not just those weeds that pop up, but that someone had intentionally planted weeds in your garden. That's exactly what happens to the landowner in today's parable. He took very good care to sow good, healthy seed. And he took care to sow it in good, healthy soil. And then he sits back and he waits for a beautiful crop of wheat. And then, for some unknown reason, some evil person throws a bunch of seed into his ground that is bad seed that is going to grow weeds. When things started growing, the householders' workers were dismayed to see all the weeds in the garden, and they immediately ran to the householder to tell him what had happened. And then they said to him, do you want us to go out and take care of these weeds right away? They were sure the answer would be yes. But it was no. Let's wait. Wait? Wait to pull weeds? It's only going to get worse. Why wait? The householder remains cautious, however, and wants to make sure that none of the wheat is inadvertently pulled up in the haste to pull up the weeds. So he tells his employees that they are going to wait. Wait all the way until it is time for the harvest. And then, when they harvest, they will burn the weeds and keep the wheat. Now, just like the text that Alex preached last week, this parable also has an explanation. It's pretty straightforward. We probably don't need it, but here it is anyway. Jesus is the one who sows the good seed. The field is the world. The children of God, those who want to follow Jesus, are the good seed. The devil sows the bad seed, and the weeds are those who choose to follow the way of the world rather than the way of God. The day of ultimate judgment will come. However, that is God's business, not ours. The end. Not quite so fast. The parable has several key themes in it, addressing needs of waiting and judging, Preservation versus destruction. There are two potential responses to the evil that has been mixed in with the good seed. And I would suggest these same two responses apply to the evil we see or are capable of doing ourselves that mixes in with the good. We can be the workers that immediately charge into the garden and root out the weeds possibly risking some flowers or vegetables along the way, but who cares, get rid of the weeds. Or we can be the householder that waits and sees and leaves the final decision until the harvest. After all, some of the wheat that is growing might be mistaken for weeds. 
Now, I'm often the, house, the worker in this story. I'm the one that rushes to judgment, that wants to make a decision. You see weeds, let's get rid of the weeds. Let's just take care of it. You're behaving badly. You have consequences. That's the end of the story. I can hurry up and make my decisions in no time flat. The only person I know that can do that faster than me is my husband. Here's the information, make a decision. The weeds are there, get rid of them. Ironically, or perhaps because of the environment in which they grew up, our three children are very hesitant to make such quick decisions. In fact, they can kind of drive us crazy. They always want to wait. Wait, see if there's one more option, one more possibility. In the spring of this year, our daughter sent us a picture of something growing in her yard. She was very proud of it. She thought for sure it was woolly lamb's ear that she had transplanted from our old house to her new house that had actually been given to me by her third grade teacher as a gift for being a volunteer. She was thrilled when she saw this growing up. And so she sent Ken and me a picture. And we said, that's not woolly lamb's ear. I suggested, I really think that's a weed. And if I were you, I'd get rid of it. My daughter didn't think it was a weed, and she wasn't willing to pull it. She wanted to give it a chance. Within a matter of days, it grew a little taller and it developed a bud. When the bud bloomed, we all recognized it as a brown-eyed Susan. Look at what would have been lost to my daughter's yard in my effort to pronounce a weed. It's not always easy to tell the weeds from the wheat, the good seed from the bad seed, even in the church. Sometimes the best course of action is to wait and see, to allow the good and the bad to grow alongside each other, and allow God to make the decisions about what is truly worth saving. When a new idea is proposed, it can be easy for us to say, oh, oh no, hold on, not going there. But maybe if we waited, we might see what developed. Now, Alex really encouraged me to use a trending topic with this sermon. So I went back to Twitter trends. And lo and behold, I found something that sounded very interesting. It was called Rotten Row. And I wanted to see what Rotten Row was about, even if I didn't use it for my sermon. And when I clicked on it, it was this gorgeous video about a, Lon a garden in Southport, London. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I found something. Now, Rotten Row is a name that dates back to the mid-1800s. There are two strong possibilities for how Rotten Row came to be named. It's thought that it could have been just a big, wide, hard, push-down path that was used for military parades and military exercises. Or another good possibility is that it was a row along which a bunch of dilapidated cottages were that were filled with rats. Rotten row. 
At any rate, what lies there now is an award-winning garden of variety and arrangement and beautiful technicolor flowers. And it creates a breathtaking walk that is often hidden from your average tourists. The entire garden is cultivated by a team of 10 volunteers. It is about a half a mile long. It's about 26 feet wide. And it is stunning. In fact, it recently won an award for one of the top 10 gardens in London, which is why it was a trending topic. See how that works? <laughs> I want you to look just at a brief part of the video. What beauty in a place where there was once rat-infested bungalows. What beauty that is named Rotten Row. We can't always judge a book by its cover. We can't always judge a good read by the title. We can't always judge a weed from a flower. And so we come back to Seeds and Weeds, a parable about waiting and judgment, gathering and separation, preservation and destruction. The parable invites us to think about how we respond to the weeds in our own lives, and we all have them. And I don't mean they're necessarily other people. They could be our own bad habits that haunt us. They could be our preoccupation with work, or our preoccupation with social media, or our preoccupation with anything that keeps us from prayer and time to think about where God is inviting us to grow. Do we, and it can also be something that happens in our congregation, do we rush to judgment, drawing lines and building walls and creating artificial boundaries in our own church to keep certain people out, to keep out the weeds or those we might consider weeds so that we can continue to grow beautifully? What or who do we put at risk when we rush to judgment. We may lose a beautiful brown-eyed Susan or have a bushel of wheat lost to us because it was picked with the weeds. We may lose people in our church who have possibility and creativity within them, but who initially seem so different from us that we withhold our welcome because we think they don't fit in here at first press. We act as though our church is a perfect, beautifully tended garden, and it is our job to root out the weeds. But maybe we need to think about that twice, because maybe you're a weed that someone else wants to root out. 
The garden in Southport is beautiful, full of annuals and perennials, so full, in fact, so packed together that it is a little bit like the method of planting three sisters, companion planting, planting in ways that don't leave room for the weeds to grow. Ultimately, the invitation of this parable is an invitation to us to think about how we want to grow our garden. It is clear that there are times when the weeds simply have to be cleared out for our own health, our own weeds, maybe an addiction of some kind that needs to be cleared out, or the weeds in our church. Kenneth Hawk, the founder of Stephen Ministry, writes about church antagonists. And sadly, I've been in the church long enough to know that there are people like this. Now, don't get me wrong. These are not the people that have a different viewpoint than yours or mine. They are not the people who have a difference of opinion with you around the session table. These are people that truly are at work with intentions of hurt or harm toward others, often the pastor, but sometimes it can happen between members of the congregation. And so these are the kind of people that will only be happy when they get their own way, and sometimes once they get their own way in one thing, they move along and find that there's something else to make them unhappy where they can't get their own way. These people or weeds sometimes need to be asked to leave, or they are the people that the pastor breathes a sigh of relief about when they do choose to move their membership. Most of the time, however, I would say 98% of the time, the way to go is the way of love and compassion, the way of Jesus, to take the approach of the householder in today's parable, to wait and see what God is going to do in this magnificent garden, how God is going to weed it and cultivate it so that the kingdom can be built. The invitation is to let the weeds grow with the wheat so that we open our hearts to those who may think or act or look or believe differently than we do. It's an invitation to remove the walls that we build around ourselves or are based on what we think our church should be. And instead, we are invited to open ourselves to what the church can be. It's an invitation, this parable is, to remember that even when the weeds are winning, God is still in charge. Ultimately, it is God who will sort out the good from the bad. And in this world where weeds do indeed seem to run rampant, God has the final word. As it says in the hymn, This is my Father's world, though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. God will be there at the harvest. He will be able to tell the weeds from the wheat. Leave the judgment in God's hands. Amid the evil in this world, the hurt and the injustice and all the weedy things we would definitely like to get rid of, 
good things still grow in our lives and in our church and in our community and in our world. Because it is a garden planted by God, and it is God who will weed it in God's own good time. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.